Oh, we love you, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory, glory, glory to God. We appreciate the Lord today. Uh, one verse of scripture while you're standing. Um, Proverbs 18 and 24. I think we touched this scripture last week uh, as we continue in our series on good friends. Uh, today, Proverbs 18 and 24 says, A man that has friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And that's the title of our lesson today, Closer Than a Brother. We want to talk about a good friend sticks closer than a brother. What does that really mean for us? And uh, what are we receiving from that? What are we doing to facilitate that? We need to make sure it's going both ways. Let's pray for the lesson this morning. Thank you, Lord for your word and your promises and thank you for being a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Today, let our hearts be good ground for the seed of the word of God. And Lord, let it prosper, let it change us, make us better, better for the kingdom, better in this world, ready for heaven. We ask it in Jesus' name and everyone said amen. Now give the Lord another hand clap and a shout. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. You may be seated. Thank you for being in discipleship class this morning uh, as, you know, just reminding us that these lessons on discipleship, these, uh, it's hard to be a good disciple if you can't be a good friend. And uh, because making friends is part of discipling people and being a good friend is part of being a disciple, being a disciple, you know, so we want to not just uh, in making other disciples, but in us being a disciple ourselves, um, hard to say I'm a just a real faithful follower of the Lord if I am an unfaithful or not a good friend. I want to be a good friend, yeah. uh, someone that people can count on. Um, when we read our opening scripture, uh, we've heard this. Usually, it's just that at first part gets quoted more than anything. You know, a man that has friends must show himself friendly. And, and initially, yes, uh, it's hard to be friends with people if you're just one of them cactus kind of people. Can't nobody get near you. You know, it's, you, you, you've got to be friendly. Right. If you're always grumpy and grouchy and, it's, and people just like, man, I would love to get to know them, but man, <laughs> I can't get near them because they're so moody and grouchy and angry all the time and just sour and, you know, just negative. And, you know, you, it, you know so we, you know, it's hard to be friends with people like that. We, but, you know, we have friends that have maybe turned into that, and so we're friends anyway, but because a friend loveth at all times. I mean, so we're going to love the sour faces and the negative attitudes. We may not really like the attitudes. We love the person. If we can... You know, if we can hate the sin but love the sinner, then we can maybe not like the attitudes but still love our friends. And so uh, a good friend, the Bible says, iron sharpens iron. And so what we want to try to do is if, if we have good qualities, not be lifted up and self-righteous about it, but try to rub off on our friends. Hey, don't, you know, offer them that kind of advice. You know, be, be a little more friendly. <laughs> be a little more approachable. Be a little more personable. So, so it, it does. I, I, I do believe that uh, it does take that initial upfront, meaning that we must, if we're going to have friends, then we must show ourselves friendly. But I also believe that it, 
uh, indicts us to practice being a friend because a man that has friends must show himself friendly. That means we have to work at that. Right. See, we, we read that, and, and when we quote it, it's usually when we're quoting it about somebody who's not very friendly. And so, because, oh, well, you know, to have friends, you got to show yourself friendly. But actually, it's not just talking about people who are unfriendly. It is talking to any individual. If you desire to have friends, then you must practice being a friend. You've got to, you know, you, you just come up born into this world. I'm just a natural friend. No, you learn. You, when you're growing up, you learn how to make friends in, when you're a kid. And, and kids learn it better than anybody. It's, uh, some, this world will knock that out of them if we let it. But kids will just be friends with anybody. And so we have, really, we have to warn our kids, don't talk to strangers. You know, when that was big, when we were little, you don't take candy from strangers and, you know, things like that. We, you know, be careful of white vans driving around your neighborhood. Don't be, you know, everybody ate the ice cream man. Don't be, so, you, you know, so, but kids are so innocent and just ready to be friendly to people that, um, you know, you have to watch it. So they learn that, that they just, they'll share their stuff, they'll, They'll play with people. They'll just, you know, they'll talk to them. They'll show them what they're doing, whatever. You know, they're interested, they're curious. And so if you're going to be a friend, you have to show yourself friendly, but that doesn't just always come natural. You have to work at being a friend even when it's not convenient. It's not always convenient to be a friend, is it? Well, I don't care how much you love your friend. They call you at 3 o'clock in the morning. You're tired, and you're like, what do you want? If it's an emergency, you gather yourself and you'll rally and you'll be there. But initially, you're like, why are you texting me or calling me at 3 in the morning? I just can't sleep. A real friend will sit up and talk with them. I'm trying to see. Nobody amen that. Because everybody's going to know a real friend will be like, I'm going to choke you in the morning. I'm going to block you right now. That's it. No, it's... uh. You know, a real friend will be a friend when it's not convenient. You know, there's a, a parable that the Lord talks about. The man comes knocking on the door. He says, I've got somebody that has arrived from out of town, and I, ne- I need some bread. I need something. And, you know, even the guy's like, man, I'm in, I'm in the bed, and we're all asleep, and so go away. But he said he won't do that. He said he will get up and help him and, and deliver to him and, and give him what he needs uh, because he needs something, not simply because... He is his friend, but because he sees his lack and he knows that he needs something, it's not convenient. I'm going to wake everybody else up getting up, but I'll do this because you need something. That's what a friend will do. The, uh, there are consequences of having friends. It's good consequences a lot of times. you got somebody that can stand with you, that'll be there to talk to you, to uh, go shopping with you, or you know, to, that you can uh, vent to about your uh, love life or lack thereof, you know, whatever. It's, uh, uh, some of you guys, where, who are y'all talking to? The consequences of having friends is that, though it, for us, is that it is, we are obligated. There's an obligation to be a friend. You can't just say, I want, well, I want friends, I want friends so they can always do for me. You've got to be a friend. A, a friend will be a giver, and you're going to give of your time, of yourself, um, and maybe even of your goods. You ever loaned your friend clothes, ladies, hello, shoes and 
skirts and dresses and tops and, hey, I'm coming by the house. I'm going to raid your closet. And Okay, whatever. You're friends. You do that kind of stuff. Um, you know, a friend will tell you when what you're wearing is not very attractive. Hey, don't wear that. That's ugly. That's terrible. That's, don't wear that. Uh, they'll, they'll tell you if your hairstyle is bad. They'll, you know, they'll, they'll tell you if you're looking pale. They'll tell you if you're looking tired. They'll tell you, if, you know, you know, they'll tell you you're, you're being hard to deal with. And they may not even say it that nice. So, um, but they love you. Friends love at all times. Genuine friends are usually more loyal, more concerned, and more helpful according to this scripture can be the case that genuine friends can actually be uh, more loyal, concerned, and helpful than an actual physical, you know, blood-related brother. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, even the Lord said there'll be a time where the enemies of a man will be the people of his own house. So um, the true test of friendship comes when things are not comfortable, when things are not convenient when things are not profitable for you you know uh so sometimes a, a friend will just stick by you when family will forsake you the lord said even a nursing mother can forget her child but i won't forget you so when we uh if we want to be the best friend that we can be if we want to have that kind of um stickability for friends that's maybe not a word but i it is if i said it so um that um you know, if you want to be a good friend, you're going to have to model yourself after the Lord, who that even though uh, he knew that people did not really uh, care for him while he was on this earth, there were some who didn't believe in him, some that plotted against him, even those that hated him, and yet he was still a friend. He was still someone who would go out of his way to make sure people had what they needed to speak hope to them, to speak life to them. He was never uh, just... Uh, cursing people and kicking in, kicking them out, and uh, you know, staying away from them. He was always trying to reach anybody because he wanted all people to be saved, and he knew that to get people saved, it's going to take more than miracles. It's going to take more than signs. It's going to take more than wonders. It's going to take more than eating of the miraculous loaf of bread and fish that I've distributed among five thousand. It's going to take more than them seeing me walk on water or cast out devils. It's going to they're going to need a friend if they're going to trust me. And if they're ever going to listen to what I'm saying, uh, a lot of people will not listen to someone who is not their friend. They, they, they want to listen to their friend. And Jesus is the kind of friend he was always trying to get people to hear him, hear what I am saying to you. And so if we want to be the best friend that we can be and be like a friend that will stick even closer than a brother, um, then we need to make sure that we are modeling ourselves after the way the Lord uh, treated people, treated his disciples the way he was. And even in Scripture, people who were uh, after God's heart became good, close-knit friends. There's a wonderful story of friendship in the Old Testament between David and the son of Saul, Jonathan. And they were two very different young men growing up because Jonathan grew up to be the son of a king while David grew up to be the son of a shepherd. And he became a shepherd himself. He was the son of Jesse from Bethlehem. But that just shows you that uh, it doesn't have to be 
the same uh, economic circumstances. It doesn't have to be the same education level. It doesn't have to be the same, uh, even the, it's surely not the same race, the same country, you know, the same social status. People can be friends with one another. And uh, one thing they did have in common was that uh, Jonathan was raised to be a soldier in the army of Saul, his father, and became a great uh, soldier, a warrior for his, his father's kingdom. Uh, David soon found himself in that role after the killing of Goliath. And so that we find that it wasn't long after that that they make David or Saul's armor bearer, and now he is in the kingdom. And Jonathan and David become such good friends that uh, it's recorded that Jonathan loved David as his own soul. They were that close. And what was even more amazing is that Jonathan realized the anointing and the call that was on David's life. And instead of saying, well, this is going to jeopardize my future, he supported David, abandoned his own dreams of becoming the king of Israel, and he devoted himself to see that David stayed alive and fulfilled his destiny. When uh, David would asked Jonathan, why is your dad trying to kill me? What have I done against him? You know, why is he seeking my life? Jonathan said, well, let's see how deeply rooted this uh, plan to kill you really is. And they, uh, when it was time for the monthly feast and David should have been there, he told David, he said, you stay away. He said, I'll let uh, my father know that I've okayed this. You're going to be with your family and let's see what happens when they do this, and Saul asks, where is David, the son of Jesse? Uh, Jonathan tells him, I will give him permission to not be here, and he's with his family. And Saul gets so upset at Jonathan that he uh, belittles him and, and accuses him of not supporting the family, and he's so angry that he actually tries to kill Jonathan with his own spear, going to kill his own son. And Jonathan realizes right then and there that Saul is intent on killing David, and they had concocted a plan uh, through a, a fake archery practice uh, that if he shot the arrow way past and, and the lad went to get, get the, the arrows, that, that meant, David, do not come back because Saul is going to kill you. And so uh, they, after the young man that collected the arrows left, Saul and Jonathan met one last time and spoke, and and would knew that they would probably never see each other again, but it did not change the fact that they loved one another, they pledged a commitment to one another. And so you see how that even though uh, Jonathan was the son of Saul, he loved David more than, his, than he loved his father. He loved Saul. I'm sure he loved his dad, but he knew his dad was wrong, and he knew that his dad uh, was, uh, something was going on with him, and that David had done no wrong. And so uh, when a friend that sticks closer than a brother has to realize that even uh, if family is wrong, I've got to side with who's right. Yeah, that's, that's, that can be tough. You know, we see even in this world, you've, you've seen on the news or you hear stories that somebody commits a crime and... Uh, it's evident. It's, man, there's all the evidence of the world. They're guilty. They've, they've murdered somebody. They've done this thing, that, the other. And family will hide them because that family bond stuff. They know that their family did that. But, well, what was I going to do? It was my son. It was my 
nephew or it was my, you know, it was my brother or my dad, whatever. It was to them. They said, you know, their family, what was I supposed to do? It's hard. That bond of family should be close, and it is close, but uh, the Scripture says that there can be a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. When brothers grow up together in a family, they, they're blood brothers. They have the bloodline, and that, that's an attachment that this world can never erase. It's, uh, I have a brother here today. We'll always be brothers. That's who we are. And uh, that, that attachment is stronger than almost any other relationship that there is. Um, it does not suggest that brothers never have conflict. Me and my brothers, we fought growing up and argued growing up. And, you know, some got shot with BB guns growing up. It was, you know, things like that. But some got pushed downstairs. There was all kinds of things that happened to brothers. It's tough being the little brother. And thankfully, he survived. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, nobody else gets to shoot him with a BB gun. That's my job. But I see nobody else pushed him down the stairs. It's going to be trouble. That's, I get to do that. Nobody else gets to bother him. You know, brothers can be competitive. You know, we, you know, things like that, especially if they're very close in age maybe in sporting events, things like that, they can be competitive. And, um, you know, but they're still brothers. And, and when opposed by another one outside the family, they will stick together. Like I said, you just don't let anybody... You know, I remember one time even my older brother, there was a guy wanted to meet him on the corner lot at the end of our street, was going to jump on him after school. And I, I'm four years younger than my uh, older brother, but I was always the, the fighter. And so I said, well, see about this. And so I'm down there, you know, I'm in junior high and about to whoop up on a guy in high school. It's like, you know, you're not going to beat up on my brother. It's, this ain't happening. I'll hit you with a stick. I'll kill you on this vacant lot and hide you somewhere. You won't, you don't mess, nobody else gets to mess with brother. And so uh, the old expression, blood is thicker than water. Well, I don't know where that came from, who came up with it, but uh, it's, uh, you know, it refers to the bonding that a family has, that blood is thicker than water. Uh, but you can't always use that as a strict moral code. If, if blood is wrong, blood is wrong still. You may love them still, but if they're wrong, they're still wrong, and you have to side with what's right. And so, uh, but a family will almost always pull together and defend one another. They may fight each other tooth and nail, but let somebody else come bothering them, and man, they'll bind together and they'll, you know, they'll fight tooth and nail to to stop anybody that's trying to mess with them. You you could, I've seen families that I thought ain't nobody in that family loves each other. They fight all the time. Man, they are, more, they are so ugly to one another. But let one person come and mess with one of them. Whew. Man, you'll have a pack of hyenas on you. I'm telling you, they'll eat you up. So you, you, I'm telling you, you, you have to be careful. That bond is, it is thick, it's close, it's hard to break. Uh, but we have to, to make sure still that we stick with what's right. Uh, you know, Think about, uh, and even in this country, everybody's heard of the Hatfields and McCoys. Well, you know, uh, somebody in that thing, in that argument on both sides is wrong. But if you was a Hatfield, you better stay with the Hatfields. If you was a McCoy, you better stay with the McCoy. Now, I, I'm not an expert on that, but I've watched documentaries and things about it. It is amazing, that feud that went on 
and the way they were and how they were back and forth and what they did. And, and maybe that's a, uh, that's a very negative example of blood is thicker than water. But just to show you how uh, loyal family can be is that even if they knew, hey, my uncle, he did this, he's wrong, but we got the same last name, so I'm sticking with him. It was because of who they were, because of their name. You know, I, I think that uh, even in the church, that should, the positive part of that should apply is that, listen, you stick with your brothers and sisters. Yeah, not if they're wrong, they're wrong. And you don't do wrong just because they're doing wrong. But you don't just kick your brother or sister to the curb. You love them. And, uh, and uh, you have to tell them, you know, a family, especially brothers or sisters, ought to be close enough to tell one another, hey, that's wrong, when it's really wrong. Now, I'm not talking about opinions. I'm talking about when something is really wrong. Hey, you just shot a guy. That's wrong, okay? I don't care what, you know, well, they stole my pig. Well, I can't help that. You, you don't shoot people for stealing your pig, you know, that's, but you can't back them over that. Uh, that's wrong. That's not an opinion. That's murder. That's wrong. And so I'm not talking about opinionated things. I'm talking about things that are actually, you know, when you see them, uh, the Bible says if we're spiritual, well, we are, we're friends, but we can still be spiritual. And if you're spiritual, restore such a one. Friends ought to be able to help one another get over things or to get back from things or to not do things. I would hope that, uh, you know, we always, uh, if I was walking toward a place and I was, you know, walking down a hallway, and at the end of the hall, there was a big hole in the floor, and I didn't see it. I would hope that somebody would tell me, hey, you keep walking this way, you're going to fall off in that pit, instead of thinking, ah, just let him find out for himself. Warn me. Tell me. And uh, brothers and sisters, uh, natural or in the Lord, should be able to say, hey, you know that that's not right. You can't keep walking that way or it's going to cost you. It's going to hurt you without us getting so indignant over it and, and getting our feelings all hurt, realizing that, hey, they love me and they only want the best for me. Sometimes a friend will say something and it will sting. But before you unfriend them and block them and, and never talk to them again, why don't you stop for a minute and think, I know they love me. And if they said it, there's a reason. Now, hopefully they said it in love. As, you know, it may have been hard to interpret at the time, so maybe another conversation is warranted. Go back to them. And so that's why uh, you know, a soft answer turns away wrath. We need to make sure that our, our words are, are kind and soft, and they can be firm. I told somebody uh, not too long ago, they were talking about people saying things and getting their feelings hurt. And I said, let me, let me just give you some advice for ministry especially. I said, you can have thick skin without having a hard heart. Matter of fact, you, you better get thick skin and then keep your heart soft because you can't let everything that is said always be taken personal uh, because it wasn't always meant personal. Sometimes maybe it was a personal jab, but it's not always personal. And so you can realize that, hey, sometimes it's just instruction, and instruction don't always feel good. Correction rarely feels good, but it always brings a good result if we take it, and it's good advice. And so uh, we need to learn to maybe thicken our skin so we're not always running and crying and, and quitting things, 
but keep our hearts soft. Don't get hard-hearted to where nobody can reach you, but don't be so thin-skinned that every little thing makes you, uh, you know, nobody loves me, nobody likes me, everybody hates me, they're all against me. Are you mad at me? Well, people ask me that question. You ask my wife, I, that is, if I have a pet peeve in this world, it's like, don't ask me that question. Because I just want to know, have you done something that I should be mad at you? Well, n- well no. Then why are you asking me that? That makes, that makes me mad. I'm mad now because you asked that. Now I've got to go and pray. See? <laughs> See what you did? You made me have to go repent and pray. Because in my mind, I was... But a friend that sticketh closer than a brother sometimes, you know, yeah, I mean, if you you think there's a real, honest, the goodness, hey, maybe they're mad at me, then ask. But not every time you talk to them on the phone, hey, I just want to call and check, are you mad at me? (laughs) I am now. You know, it's, uh, you should have enough confidence in your friends but to have confidence in your friends, and if we want our friends to have confidence in us, then we should be the kind of friend they can have confidence in. Okay, that was a tongue twister, but I hope you got what I was saying. That if we want people to trust us as a friend, then be the kind of friend that people can trust. Be the kind of person that people can say, well, I know they don't just go around stabbing people and hurting people and abusing people, so if they said that, there must be a reason. So... Don't be afraid to say, what's the reason? Yeah, but I don't really do good with talking to people. Then you, then you have to learn or you just deal with it. You know, don't, uh, because you can sit and then your mind just starts wandering and you're thinking of all kinds of scenarios. And before you know it, you know, you're thinking, nobody loves me anymore. Nobody likes me. And that's so far from the truth. Uh, you never know what that person's going through that day. And you just caught them at the wrong time. Have you ever not had a good friend, I mean a good friend, that hurt your feelings? If you got a good friend that has never hurt your feelings, raise your hand because I want to meet your friend. Hey, I'll tell you this. There ain't a, a husband or wife in here that at one point or some point has not hurt their husband or wife's feelings. Oh, and that's the closest bond you can think of. But I know, not intentionally, I've hurt my wife's feelings. I've said things and didn't even realize it, and then I did. Or maybe she did and, and did that to me. It, it, but it wasn't like, you know what, I'm just going to hurt his feelings today. You know, it wasn't anything like that. It was just, uh, you know, unintentional. You know, it, something happens. It, it, that happens, but I'm like, well, I guess it's over. Pack my bags. You know, what? You know, no, no. There's, there's something deeper than that in, in a friendship that, that is built on faith in the Lord and, and modeling yourself after the Lord. Uh, it will withstand uh, trials and tests and disagreements and even arguments and, and uh, distance, all kinds of things. It will stand whatever it comes your way because we love when we're friends. And love never fails. It endures all things, right? So, so we understand today that um, when you love somebody, that doesn't make it, uh, you know, make you immune from hurting their feelings. I, I wonder how Jesus felt when Peter rebuked him. 
I wonder how the rest of the guys thought when they looked at it and their eyebrows went all the way up to here. Did you just rebuke the Lord? You know, and I wonder how Peter felt when he said, get behind me, Satan. Wait, did you forget I've got the keys? <laughs> yeah. That don't mean nothing if you don't know what, what, what them keys are for. <laughs> you know, and so... Uh, you know, get behind me because you, you, you savor the things of men more than the things of God. And he's, Peter's just getting slapped right there in front of everybody. But you think he doubted that Jesus loved him? He stuck around. And, and even the Lord knew that, hey, I know how Peter is, and I know he says things, he's quick to fly off at the mouth and quick to do things, but I still love him, and I'm going to use him. And I, I picked him for a reason. And so... A friend will learn to, to work with their friend and be close to their friend and maybe even be closer than a brother. You know, in this world, people would, you ever seen, or I guess when we were kids, you used to see it in, in like, especially in cowboy movies. Somebody's going to be, they're going to be a blood brother. They slice their hand and grab their hands together. It's like an oath. They, they're making a pledge. I don't know, we're different. I'm, I'm a cowboy and you're Indian and we're going to be blood brothers, you know mixing that blood together. But if you broke that, it was you know, usually under penalty of death. If you didn't stick to your part of the oath, then they would, they would kill you. But that's, they thought mingling that life-giving blood meant something great. And so uh, people have always tried to make connections. But if you want to be the most faithful friend you can be, be like the Lord. Be like what the scripture says. It, quit, don't do silly things like that. Don't be cutting your hands and, and slapping them together. Be, you got to do that. We're all blood brothers. He is made of, one, you know, of all nations. He, he put us all under one blood. So, so we all have the blood of Jesus on us. That, make, that connects us. It makes us uh, that, that family. So, so don't nobody do nothing crazy like slitting your hands and slapping them together or anything like that. We don't want nothing weird going on. We get, well, they already think we handle snakes. Don't be talking about blood brothers. You know, don't be drinking no Kool-Aid. Don't do that. Uh, we just obey the Lord. So it doesn't take a blood oath like that to be sincere. Many lasting and loyal friends are committed without that kind of drama. It's just your friends all friendships come easily to some. There are some people, you ever heard them say they never meet a stranger. Some people just, man, it's just there. They can make friends very quickly. It's harder for others. And any lasting friendship will take time to develop. It's not just overnight. But, you know, going back to our scripture, a man that has friends must, have him, must show himself friendly. In other words, he must practice at being a good friend. He is obligated in this uh, connection to be a good friend, not just receive from a good friend. And then the friend that sticketh closer than a brother is speaking of a relationship that exceeds the normal expression of a familial bond between siblings. It does This expression denotes a relationship beyond the bonds of fraternity. We assume that brothers will share a close relationship. We've already talked about it. Brothers, natural family, do share a close relationship uh, but to have a friend closer than a brother would be a very devoted friend indeed. Because let me tell you, as much as any of your family loves you, nobody loves you more than Jesus does. Nobody. Oh, my. I, hey, you know what? I know I'm the favorite in my, my mama's house. 
Sorry, Bubba. And my grandkids, y'all just listen up. She says a lot of things to keep y'all satisfied, but I know who the favorite is. So I, that's why I never worry about them little texts y'all make, because I, I know who the favorite is. <laughs> I've been a favorite for a long time. So, you know, I know. But as much as my mama loves me, she don't love me more than Jesus. And that, she knows that. She's a, that's, that's not a slight her. She knows that. I love my kids. I love my wife more than anything I can think of on this earth, but I don't love her more than Jesus does. Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is devoted to us. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Yeah, that's what he said. That's a lot of friends might duck out when things get hard, but he will not. He's going to be there. A friendship described as closer than a brother is a very special bond of friendship that will sacrifice self-interest and it promotes the success of another, which is what we saw with Jonathan and David. Jonathan knew that, well, I'm Saul's son. I would be next in line, but I understand this is a God thing, that God has anointed David to be the next king of Israel. And so he's going to be. So Jonathan promoted David and protected David so that he could see David reach the goal that God had set for him. Self-ambition and promotion are set aside in an effort to help a friend succeed. There's great satisfaction in seeing such a friend honored, secretly knowing that the achievement was a joint effort. It's good to see people make it. We should celebrate one another's victories. That's why we rejoice with them that rejoice. And we weep with them that weep. We should be there in their times of adversity and feel that. When they feel or suffer a loss, then we should feel that loss as well and realize that they are in grief and we're going to grieve with them. You know, many times in, in the scripture you would see when uh, someone, like when uh, Joseph uh, lost his father, when his father died, People that had no idea who his father was, but they still continued in mourning with Joseph for all those days because they loved Joseph and they knew what Joseph had done to save them. Even the Egyptians, you know, uh, mourned the loss of Joseph's father. And so uh, a friend just jumps right in there and says, I'm here for it. Whatever's going on, count me in, I'm there. And so it's great. That, that will show a true friend when you can celebrate your friend's victories, even when you're striving for the same thing. Yeah, if you, you know, it, that's something that, it, that is so needed and, and should be really facilitated in the church especially, that churches should never be in competition with one another. Uh, a pastor should never be uh, upset and, and mad because uh, another pastor all of a sudden bought a new building. Or, you know, all of a sudden they've got 500 people or whatever it is. You know, you shouldn't compare yourself like that. But you should, you know, so you had service on this Sunday. Man, it was great church. Everything was wonderful. And, man, it was just a good spirit. And people worshiped and people were blessed. And you get home, you pull up Facebook. And, man, my brother down the road had 25 get the Holy Ghost and 19 were baptized. There goes my Sunday. You know, what is that? Share that post and say, look at what God's doing. Look, look what God can do because, hey, we're all working for the kingdom. And, and so 
uh, when we uh, rejoice with them that rejoice, well, they're rejoicing because God moved and blessed in a great way. That's fantastic, man. That, there was 25 people there that needed the Holy Ghost, and they got it. What pastor wouldn't want any number, you know, however many people are here that need the Holy Ghost, I want them to get it. And uh, so rejoice with them, that kind of friend that, you know, that calls them up and says, man, I'm so thankful for what God did in your service today. That thrills me to hear. You know, we, we celebrate missionaries way across the ocean because, well, they're not in my hometown or down the block. Shame, shame on us. That's not being a good friend. Your brother down the street, across the street, down the block, wherever they are, man, if they're having revival and people are getting the Holy Ghost and getting baptized in Jesus' name and God's doing great things, then celebrate with them and rejoice with them. Be that kind of friend that rejoices with them. So we find that Jesus is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Uh, through his completely selfless act to provide salvation and the hope of everlasting life, Jesus demonstrated his intense desire to provide for our needs above his own. He went to the cross. We didn't have to. He suffered and bled. We didn't have to. The relationship that Jesus developed with his followers was much more intimate than the relationship between a master and a servant. The disciples looked at Jesus as a leader, a mentor, a teacher, and a master. But this is what he said to them in John 15 and 15. I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. So Jesus elevated his disciples, his followers, to be more than servants. Yes, they were servants, but and even more than disciples, he made them friends. He called them his friend. And so Jesus demonstrated his love through his devotion to his friends and the sacrifice of his life on the cross of Calvary. Romans 5 and 8, God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He was our friend before we were his friend. A friend loveth at all times. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. That means he was already loving us before we knew him or knew to love him. He was already our friend and gave his life for us. This was the ultimate test of friendship. And Jesus even spoke of his intention before he ever went to the cross in John 15 and 13 when he said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. And so Jesus was already letting them know the kind of friend that he was and what he was going to do. There's a song, and it was written way back in 1855. That's a long time ago. Anybody around? No? Okay. Just ask me. Joseph Scriven wrote this. It was a hymn, and I promise you that you have sung it in church at some time or another. What a friend we have in Jesus. It's been published in more than a thousand hymnals, and it's brought comfort and hope to multitudes of people over the years. It's been sang in services over and over and over. Uh, the song declares the wonderful friendship that every believer can have with Jesus and the privilege of prayer as we share every problem with him. Uh, I'm not going to sing it, but the line says, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. I'm so thankful. Honey, you can come to the music this morning. I'm so thankful for uh, this friend we have that sticketh closer than a brother. I'm so thankful for the friends 
uh, that I have in the church, in the body of Christ. I'm thankful for friends that I have that maybe they don't even go to church. They're my friends, and I could count on them. I know they would show up. I'm thankful for my family, for my natural brother and, and my mom and, and my family, I'm, for all of that. But no one will ever be as close to you as Jesus. He gave his life for you and then filled you with his spirit. No one will ever be as close to you as Jesus. You can count on him. And if we want to be like him, then let's be a friend like him. People have said, oh, I want to be a preacher like Jesus was. I want to be you know, all these things like Jesus was. I want to do those greater things that Jesus was talking about. Well, be a greater friend. Be a, a greater friend in this life. Be, do things great. Do, do better than you've ever done before. Be a friend. It takes effort. You'll have to set aside what you're doing sometimes to uh, help them out. Oh, man, I'm going to miss my show. Well, miss your show. Go help them out. Oh, my food's going to get cold. Then heat it up when you get home. Go help your friend. Be a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I'm just telling you because sometimes you're going to be the one needing a friend. And you want to be able to, to call somebody and know that they'll be there. Let's stand together this morning. When, when Saul and, and his sons were killed, they were all killed in the same battle and, and a messenger came and gave David the news and David and the entire camp began to lament the death of Saul and his sons and David, he actually wrote like a song, I guess, or a poem, a psalm, whatever you want to call it, uh, to lament the loss of Jonathan. And he said in 2 Samuel 1, how the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. Their, their bond was so deep and their friendship was so great that David described it as surpassing the love of women. This is not intended to have any kind of sexual connotation or implication of a homosexual attraction. They were both married and both had kids. Uh, it, rather, it expressed how close of a brotherhood that they had experienced. As peers, they had shared their aspirations and accomplishments. They enjoyed the times they spent together uh, in battle or sharing meals around a table. Both men were married, had children, yet both valued their friendship as soulmates and brothers. So David wrote this uh, to mourn the death of his friend. And David even went after he became king and sought out Jonathan's son who was lame and, and could not walk and, and told him, he said, you will, the rest of your days you will eat bread at my table. You will be with me. He took care. He wanted to show his commitment to Jonathan who, who even though he was gone, he, he wanted to pass it on to his children and show him that he was a friend that sticketh closer than even a brother. So let's lift our hands this morning and ask the Lord to help us. Let's, let's thank him for being that friend and ask him, how can we be a better friend, a friend that sticketh closer than a brother? Lord, so grateful to you this morning. And we know that you are a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. 
Thank you for making me your friend. And Lord, I want to model that. I want to I want to be able to lay down my life for my friends. I want to be able to be there for them and help them. I want to be what you are to us and what you are to us. Thank you, Lord, that we can cast our care upon you. I pray that we can be the kind of people that people could come to us with their situations and we could be a help and a comfort to them as well. Lord, let us be better at being friends. Let us be better at making disciples. Let us be better for the kingdom in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Give the Lord a hand this morning. Aren't you thankful for that friend? <laughs> Hallelujah. Thankful for our friends today. Our friend, what a friend we have in Jesus. Praise God. Thank you for being in the adult class this morning. Listen, um, in the next service at the beginning, we do have a baby dedication. So we're going to do that uh, right at the beginning of the service. And then we're going to do like we did last week, have our countdown. We're going to start out with prayer again like we, we did last week. I think that's a great way to kick our services off. And then uh, our kids will be singing. The kids' choir will be singing in this service. Hey, let's, when they get up here to sing, because I think some of them were sick, so the kids' choir is a little small, it was like this morning. Let's all stand up and let's, man, let's cheer them on and let's, Let's really encourage them because it's just a few of them this morning, but let's, let's make them feel like they're singing in a mass choir this morning. How about that? All right. God bless you, and let's find a place to pray and get ready for the next service.